Welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and Zetabyte-sized disembodied consciousnesses embedded in the Zencaster servers. It's time for yet another Weird Dose of X. Hope everybody out there had a wonderful Thanksgiving or otherwise enjoyed the weekend. We are still putting away the leftovers here. You have a you have leftovers on tap tonight, Ruben, or you got something else going on? Oh man, my Thanksgiving was a total disaster. I've been oh, dealing no. with with uh, two daughters who both got nasty flus, and uh, basically, instead of a week long vacation with the grandparents watching the kids, we were like on triple duty taking care of uh, sick kids while we both got sick as well. So we tried to we tried to get Whole Foods on Thanksgiving because they were still open and we were going to get, you know, like a traditional Thanksgiving meal from there, which is very, very like, you know, downgraded from what we were expecting. But I can and see you trying to make, make it something normal, right? Something like the usual. Yeah, that's tough. But they didn't even have that. They, they had like switched back to their regular Whole Foods hot bar. So. Pretty oh, much no. did not have a Thanksgiving this year. Well, you could certainly uh, shop uh, at our refrigerator because we have still so much leftovers. I've uh, I have made turkey pho, and you like to use the the bones oh, to make nice. some nice broth. So that's nice, good. Nice. And I've got some uh, turkey mole going tonight. I made a mole sauce to kind of make the turkey taste like something a little different than oh my god, not turkey again. So my wife is uh, Vietnamese, and I'm going to tell her that you make turkey pho, and she's going to roll her eyes like so. <laughs> I'm I'm sure it's not completely authentic. I use fish sauce. I use star anise. I use basil. Yeah, okay, that's you're saying the right things. I, I, I try to. I try. To, I'm, I'm sure it is not what her mother and grandmother and great 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 yes. great grandmother made. But you know, it's pretty darn good. I gotta say. Well, that is probably more than uh, enough food talk for one episode about what's supposed to be an X Men uh, podcast. So we're going to get into the books. We're talking about two brand new X books this week. They are X Men number seventeen, which will be our big X book of the week. That is the continuation of the Vault storyline. And next will be X-Force number 34, the start of a new arc, but is it really all that new? By Ben Percy. So we're going to start off with X-Men. This is X-Men number 17, titled Size Matters, written by Jerry Duggan and art by Joshua Kassara. So two characters have kind of arcs going on here, right? We've got Forge inside the vault. We've got Sink outside the vault. And and Sinks has this kind of almost like a framing story going on at the beginning and then at the end. So when we last left, Forge was inside and just found out that Laura, I guess we should call it old woman Laura, just to be clear who we're talking about, was still alive inside the vault. People are, just, are calling uh, the original Laura Alpha Laura, and I like that better than, than old woman Laura. Alpha I understand the, the make, old that man make her Logan beta thing. Laura? I don't know. The other one beta, yep. <laughs> I, that's, I don't think I'd call her that, not in person anyway. So anyway, so she's still alive, despite having, again, been resurrected back on Krakoa after everyone thought she had died. And outside the vault, Sink is hanging out at Central Park in the treehouse. Uh, he's bouncing a basketball. Is that, do we know Sink to be a, a big basketball fan? Seems an odd detail to include. <laughs> <laughs> he's just sitting like watching TV or something. Now, yeah, now, He's got all the monitors. He's on monitor duty. Everybody loves monitor duty. Beat up on the desk. And his right hand is just dribbling a basketball off to the side. I do wonder if uh, Jerry Duggan did, wrote that in or Joshua Kassara just said, oh, I, I need to put something else in this panel. I do remember like a lot of the old 90s X-Men would have these character moments where people were just like playing a sport and talking. Oh, the famous, the famous baseball games. That was certainly a thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I think I remember some issues of people actually playing basketball at the X uh, Mansion, but we haven't really seen that lately. They're too busy raving and whatever else is going on in Krakoa. So, if anybody out there knows of uh, Sink's basketball history, do let us know. We will uh, 
We'll, we'll, we'll put that at the top of the show if we learn anything about that. So he gets a psychic phone call from a very, very sad-looking Jean Grey, right? She's, she's crying. Her eyes are closed. You see, you see the tear dripping down her face like she's a 1970s commercial and she saw somebody litter. It's really sad. Now, she says, Everett, we need you at the vault. Now, I, I know, know you have the, the wife and kids, and so you probably do the same thing I do. Or if I ever call my wife and say, you know, honey, get here right now. If it's nothing wrong, I always add. I always add, oh, don't worry. Everything's fine. You always add that in because otherwise you're going to think the worst. So is is Jean just pranking him here or is she just that clueless? Yeah. I'm, I don't think I've – I think I've said before I'm not a huge fan of Jean. I think she's kind of ridiculous most of the time and this does not change my opinion of that. It's just here for our drama, right? To, for the for the readers to think, oh no, what's going on? That's that's. The I am, I am impressed that she's got like one eye just like gushing tears, and the other eye's fine. I'm like, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> so we leave Sink until the very end. We go into the vault with Forge. So she has he has just seen uh, Alpha Laura. That's what we're calling her, the older one. Alpha Laura. Yep, Alpha Laura. And he just closes it right up again. Just, oh, uh-oh, that's not what I'm here for. Shut the yeah. capsule. Uh, and his Caliban harness is mad at him for this. And they have an extended conversation about what, what the right thing to do is. And I want to emphasize this. The Caliban harness that Forge is wearing, it has a personality and is sentient enough to have an actual full-blown argument with him and and win, right? This is going to be important to remember later, that it's it's clearly very much alive and essentially a person. It doesn't have arms or legs, but it's a person. Yeah. Which, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll argue about that later. If Orbis Stellaris is a person and he's just an orb. That giant eye monstrosity in Arako. Yes. yes. Right? There's also a, a line here that Forge says that I think is going to give rise to a lot of arguments. He says, it's all screwed up. I thought the five only accidentally resurrected one mutant, not two. Okay, so clearly he means Laura to be the second of these two accidental resurrections. Yeah. Who's the first one? Are we supposed to know what he means? I, I was very confused by that statement. I've seen some speculation that the other one was Darwin, like maybe Darwin's still running around out there. I, I, don't, I don't think we've seen, we haven't seen, we have not seen Darwin in any current things since he went into the vault. Yeah, I mean, that would almost make sense as like a retconning of a retcon because in that um, Hickman issue, when Laura was resurrected, there was a kind of a bald-headed person and everyone had assumed that Right. Darwin was resurrected, right? And then subsequently, we were told, like, oh, no, he's been in the vault the whole time. And so maybe that maybe somebody got back to Duggan and was like, uh, hey, <laughs> people thought that Darwin was already out and he's not. So maybe this is like a nod to that. But if you wanted to clear that up, I wish he had put the name in there. This I, yeah. I can't tell if this is supposed to be mysterious or if it's supposed to be there, I fixed it. And it, it's kind of halfway in between, which is just uncomfortable, which again, might be on purpose. So after this argument with Caliban about you know what to do about Alpha Laura, uh, he has a fight with Serafina, who is indeed the child of the vault who's been following him since he first entered. And it's, fight is kind of pushing it, right? She just thoroughly kicks his ass, doesn't break a sweat, throws one of her adamantium darts right through the Caliban harness and into Forge's chest. He's not, he's not really there as a, you know, in, in fighting form. He's not versus Serafina. And so she questions him, makes him admit that he made the Black Mercy traps outside the vault for two reasons, right? He admits both he wants to prevent a war and also because he just kind of wanted to see what would happen. Okay. Points for honesty. Uh, she lets him go because she too just kind of wants to see what would happen. Yeah. 
you know the children better than I do, Ruben. Is this a reasonable thing for Seraphina to do? Is this something she would do? So it's an interesting question. I did think it was a little bizarre that she just was like, I'm going to fight you, almost kill you, and then she'd be like, eh. I'm done. Go make some popcorn. Yeah, the whole civilization inside the vault, I don't really understand. I know yeah. they're evolving very quickly, but I don't know, is there a government? Is there someone in charge? Are they told your purpose? So this is what I'll say about it. The In the issues we've had with Children of the Vault in the past, and there's not a ton, I actually was looking on Unlimited before the episode today to say, like, can you even search for Children of the Vault? And like, will it pop up as an entry? No. The answer is no. And none of these characters, you can't search them individually. So you have to like know the issues that they appear in and then go hunt those out. My point is, this isn't like a, you know, deep and rich (laughs) character pool with lots of backstory. But, you know, maybe the maybe the 20 issues they've appeared in probably less than that. At the first time we saw them, they were like a tight, tight knit group that was like, we're all aligned on one agenda. The second time we saw them, it was like there was a government and people sometimes helped out, but they weren't all really all on board with this like conquer the world agenda so you know depending on which of those interpretations you want to go with you could say you know she is loosely affiliated with this you know or this civilization but not necessarily all in on advancing some sort of world domination agenda she might not care and her specifically in the past we've seen her kind of um in a pseudo romantic relationship i think with cannonball briefly she like linked up to him and like did some sort of mind meld thing I actually thought those um, chords that came out of the wall that, you know, plug into Forge and then it turns out to be Darwin, Darwin's consciousness in their machine. I thought it was her because we've seen her with like stuff like that before. But anyways, she she has been willing to sort of attack and kill X-Men, but also not like always wanting to do that. So I guess long story short, like it is a weird behavior here, but it's not completely, you know, 180 on what we've seen her in the past. She's been kind of like aloof in the past. I wonder if anytime soon we'll see, you know, is she going to do something inside the vault to let people know that there's a whole Black Mercy thing going on? Yeah. Or that they've been raided by the X-Men. Is anyone going to notice Laura's gone if she had ends up being gone? Which, yeah, he does rescue her. Spoiler. Uh, So I guess we'll see what happens. It just seems weird. It's like fight for no purpose, right? And she almost kills him and then just walks off. That makes no sense to me. Gotta have a fight scene. Yeah. yeah, So she walks off and, you know, going to let him go. And he's still already wounded. He's going to pull this adamantium dagger out of his chest. And as he's doing that from off panel, like like you mentioned in passing, these, I think it's two or three black tendrils come from off panel and just jab into his ear and his neck and his shoulder. And they're not really, we don't see where they come from. But again, I, I've read that Serafina has some sort of black tendril thing in the past that looked kind of different. These look almost like symbiote related. So. He does, these jab in, and then he passes out. And while he passes out, he has this whole of the mind conversation with Darwin. He's in this dreamlike state. He's imagining that he's in this version of Krakoa that completely matches that scale model we saw he had at the beginning of last issue in that that flashback conversation with Mister Sinister. And Darwin shows up flying on these angel wings, and he says, "Hey, Forge, get this. Yeah, yeah. They they these bad guys here were real bad things to me. They caught me. They did these horrible medical experiments on me." which is a horrible thing to do to anyone. Remember that when we talk about our next book. But Darwin's gift to like survive and adapt allowed him to sneak his consciousness into the vault's computer system. So his body is dead physically, but if we're to take this as face value, his consciousness continues on. And he's, he's happy in the vault. He gets to observe all the crazy stuff that's going on in this vastly sped up timeline. 
And just like Forge and Serafina, he just wants to see what will happen. We have a, a lot of that going on in this issue, it seems to be. I don't know if it's thematic or at least, hey, I said it three times, it, it seems like literature. So do you think we're supposed to take this completely at face value that this is Darwin and Forge is having a, a, a waking dream that is giving true information to him? That's what I'm wondering about. And, and you know, I'm always sort of pie in the sky, like, oh, these issues are better than they actually are. Probably it is just a face value thing. But I want to believe that this is actually, it is Serafina and she's pretending to be Darwin. And, you know, later in the in the data page, it sounds like some some sort of psychic mental thing piggybacked on Forge when he left. Yes. The vault. Yeah. I, I would take it at face value, but we are shown in three panels in a row, right before we cut to the, the of the mind, we see the tendrils sneak up and scritch, 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 you know, bloodily poke into him. And then he passes out, his eyes roll with these things still in him. So something is going on. And I'm not quite sure what. So maybe maybe like this isn't Darwin. Digital Darwin could talk to him in a different manner than this, right? This is kind of brutal. Um Oh, yeah. I guess the other one would be that, that Darwin did have to physically jack into him and just happen to use some of the nearby computer terminals to do it. It is interesting. And I would say, last thing about Serafina, I, I don't like the current look of her. So she needs to evolve back to like the cool like uh, striped leggings goth girl with the um, plug-in terminals. I thought that was a much cooler look for that character than like the new liquid metal thing. It's kind of generic and boring now. Oh, well. Serafina... Go back to, to how how Ruben like. <laughs> I think it's just more memorable character design. I, I think the original Children of the Vault character design was pretty sweet. Most of the characters. Forge wakes up from his dream, vision, whatever. We, we see the cord puck out of him, out of his ear. Gross, nasty. And when he wakes back up, the Caliban harness says he was out for like several minutes. I guess his special suit helped heal him up quickly because he seems much better now. And he's changed his mind. He said, hey, you know what? We are going to rescue Alpha Laura. We're going to take her home with us. My, my suit's going to transform into this kind of backpack thing, and we're going to do that. And I guess that trip back home was uneventful because we don't see any of it. It cuts right to him, you know, right to outside the vault with uh, Sink arriving to meet up with finding out what the horrible thing that has Jean Grey just bawling her eyes out. And now everybody's cheerful and happy. And I don't know, some of these, I think these are supposed to be actual cheerful grins, but they look pretty creepy to me. Maybe, yeah. maybe that says more about me and my expectations. I think it's the, art, it's the art's not so great here. I feel like this was an issue that really needed a lot of emotional nuance and the art isn't drawn well enough. To Bobby it. and Gene, especially, they, they look like they're, I don't know, mind controlled or pod people or something. It doesn't look... Doesn't look, hey, hooray, friendly, good things happen. Yeah. But they say, hey, Sink, we have something important to to uh to show you. Uh look. Ta-da! It's it's Alpha Laura. You know she's the older one because she has a, a a very lovely strand of gray hair just in the middle of everything else. And he's naturally kind of freaked out. Uh Cyclops says, you know, go slow. Maybe Laura's gonna need some time, but apparently not so much, because she sprints at him and uh, you know, uh they get to know each other again right there in the splash page in front of everybody, which is, you know, good for them. You're making it sound very X-rated. It's She jumps and kisses him. Maybe maybe I'm just envious. I don't know. <laughs> I, have, I have never had a hundred-year-old mutant run across a field of flowers and jump up and kiss me. And I think we should all experience that once in our life, shouldn't we? Yeah. Shouldn't we? Don't we deserve that much? But anyway, they're having a great time. We've had it mentioned that uh, Havoc is, is not around. We saw him storm off last issue after fighting with his brother. 
We don't see where he storms off to, but I wonder if he's he's headed off to that dark web crossover because that's being written by Zeb Wells, who you know wrote about him in Hellions, and it includes you know the Spider Man stuff, and it includes some mutant stuff. So I think maybe this could be here's our here's our not tie in, but like here's our off ramp to move one character from this book into that. We'll find out. And finally, or almost finally. We see that Forge is going to get rid of this. He realizes he probably shouldn't have done those bad things with these other mutants to make the suit. And he says, now to give this suit the funeral it deserves. And he burns it to ashes. Now, remember, last time we saw this suit, it was, you know, a smiling and a talking. It was, you know, having moral arguments with Forge about what he should do. So, and now he's just burned the Caliban harness to death? What the hell? What do you make of this? Yeah, it's bizarre. There's a lot of just people acting strangely in in both this issue and X Force. I, I I don't get it. It's like, is he trying to cover his tracks? Does he not want to have duplicates? Like, are they going to do this to Beta Laura? <laughs> you can. I guess you don't want to have this suit just hanging on the wall somewhere, just chatting like a like a, a Billy Bass. I don't know what it would be like, but just this this monstrosity of a face just a, a hanging there. It's a strange way to deal with it, too, though, right? Like, couldn't he just have a self-destruct button on the suit? It's just, it's a little weird to me. If I wanted to explain this the nicest possible way, I would say, you know, in that whole scene we didn't get to see where they escaped from the vault together, something happened and Caliban died. Maybe of the that wound, because he was wounded by Seraphina mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So you could say, oh, Caliban died heroically along the way, and now we're going to give it the funeral it deserves. Yeah. But when we don't see it die, you can't really give a funeral. So I think, again, I think like you say, it's just Jerry Duggan just wanted to clean up something weird and say, okay, that's gone now. I don't have to worry about that. We do still have to worry about two Lauras, which I was worried that he was going to do something with this Laura having to, you know, die nobly so that we didn't have to mess around with that, those details. Uh, the two Lauras thing is a plot point I, I really want to see going forward. Well, we're not, we're still not quite done. We have a little scene at the end where uh, Forge meets up with the actual Caliban, not the harness variety, the you know one with arms and legs and stuff at the bar, and says, oh, I got a story to tell you. And he says, hypothetically, if I asked you to trust me, to trust me that with everything that you are, your powers and your mind, would you do that? And Caliban, the big old dummy, says yes. And so I guess he's going to hear the story now. And I, I wonder what Caliban's reaction is going to be to this whole, <laughs> you know, not only cloned me, but used a copy of my mind that you stole from Cerebro and then possibly burned me to death afterwards. I don't know. But we don't get to see that part of the conversation. And then finally, finally, we have a data page. It's the report from uh, Dr. Celia Reyes. It says very specifically, not Cecilia, which is her actual name. She misspells her own name, Dr. Celia Reyes. I think that I'm going to blame just that on a uh, Marvel editor. But yeah, this is about... Uh, Forge and his cerebral backups since he came back out of the vault. And the first one, when they backed him up, it was measured in zettabytes, which I haven't looked up what power 10 that is, but I'm sure it's a whole lot. And they say that it's way bigger than it should be. But then they did it again sometime later, and he was back down to a more typical within normal parameters size. And I mean, this is the title of the issue. The title of the issue is Size Matters. And there's nothing else in the issue that that can be referring to. It has to be referring to this final one-page 
data page. So what do you think is going on here? Yeah, so it's, it's one of two options. One, the cooler option, Serafina is actually out in the world outside of the uh, Black Mercy prison. Uh, and that's what I hope the story is. And Does the, she have technology controlling type powers yes, that would make this? That, that's exactly all she was in the past. And that's what those sort of cords dangling off her old costume were for. She was like able to plug into things and she's done of the mind stuff pops out of r2d2 yeah yeah so like when she married cannonball it was like of the mind marriage kind of thing okay um anyway anyways so that's what i'm hoping is going on the less exciting but still sort of interesting idea is the um evolved from his body version of darwin is kind of out in the world at this point that is interesting but then we'd have to wonder why he would want to be secret about it like seraphina being secret makes perfect sense Darwin not saying, hey, guys, look at me. I'm a living computer now. I don't know why he would do that. He's merging with the uh, the machine that is the planet or Earth or whatever the thing is from Eternal. Oh, boy. That, that, that'll be the next giant event, Darwin Day. Yeah. Okay. So we had a lot to talk about in this issue. Some of it, some of it, ooh, that's interesting. And some of that, hey, I think they screwed up. And some of that, I'm not sure if it's interesting or if they screwed up. Yeah. So overall, all encompassing, what do you make of this issue? I'm a little down on this one. I, I, I struggled with some of the emotional elements. They just didn't land as well as I think they should have. And maybe that was the art. But I also think it was possibly just the writing and the scenes, that how they were constructed. But I still am interested in it, right? It's children. I'm always interested in children. And the two Laura story I'm excited about. There's a lot of people that are down on the um, the Sink and Laura relationship. And I don't, I don't buy it. I, I actually find that quite interesting and... I'm looking forward to a happier, happier version of uh, Sync going forward. That's an interesting complication. I'm curious to see how long they're going to actually have multiple Lauras actually both alive, which I don't know. That's something that's, you know, something I'm sure a writer can do in their book. And, you know, it just doesn't matter that's in your book. And some things I'm sure you got to go up a couple levels of editorial and say, it's okay that I do this, right? And it's got to be you know, a pretty big deal to have another Laura just hanging around. There, there's already been Laura clones, right? Like, that's her whole thing is she was cloned like a million times and she was out there fighting her clones of herself. So. Yeah, but these, this one has, you know, some of the same memories as the other one, plus, I don't know how many hundreds of years of new ones from the vault. So it's it's a little different. Oh, give, me, give me a number. For me, I'm going to say seven. I can't say that it's great, but I was happy reading it and interested in kind of the story. And in general, I'm, you know, Curious to see what the next issue of X-Men brings us. Okay. I'm actually a little higher than that. I, I enjoy having these little weird things that we get to talk about and argue about. I, I enjoy that more than just, a, well, it was a smooth flowing story and I'm never going to think about it again. The little rough edges kind of make it fun for me. So I'm going to give that a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, one last thing I do want to say, just the funny thing is when they're when they're at the uh, the party bar. Green they, Lagoon. There's some interesting things. We see uh, Wolverine there chilling i don't think uh oh, yes, yes. would let him do that so that was weird to me and i uh i really dig the apocalypse mug that we see one of the characters holding i would definitely buy one of those actually in the that. background we see sage there don't we yes kind of kind of small kind of you know not drawn in detail but you see her green glasses so we do see sage hanging out at the bar with the drink in her hand and then the last little detail like there's i guess a magneto helmet at the bar that's kind of weird to me I mean, I guess he sacrificed himself, but I don't know. You'd think there'd be a different kind of a place of honor than just, you know, here's your helmet at the bar. Thanks for saving our nation. Your helmet goes in the bar. Well, certainly a lot of stuff to uh, to look forward to, or at least hope they talk about in the next few issues, because yeah. there's some weird things going on in X-Men. 
Speaking of weird things, uh, next on to X-Force number 34, Blackout, written by Ben Percy, art by Chris Allen. Now, this is a, a new artist for this title, Chris Allen. He's been, for Marvel, mostly a Miles Morales artist. I, I think his style really works for S- X-Force here. It's He does really good detailed tech, the guns and the ships and the armor, and he does these expressive faces with kind of a lot of... Uh, I'm not an art critic, but he has a lot of lines he puts on people's faces more than most artists. He kind of a lot of like furrowed brows and like his their cheeks, cheekbones and like mouths kind of crinkling up lines on the face. And it, it adds a different kind of kind of grittiness, which I enjoy. Have you you familiar with his art at all? Nope. This is my first exposure, but I agree. It was it was fun to look at the issue. Yeah. So previously in this volume of X-Force, we've had a lot of Joshua Kassara, who's now off on X-Men. We've had a, a good bit of Robert Gill and then a bunch of fill-ins. So I like it when an artist sticks around on a book and is consistent. I think it really makes the book feel like a whole, like not just here's a collection of issues that also connect to other issues, but like here's a title. Like, even though I'm I'm not always a fan of the uh, the JRJR art in Amazing Spider-Man, it does make that book feel like, you know, its own connected thing, which it, I think really helps and is missing from a lot of books. So I hope Chris Allen sticks around for a while here on X-Force. And also, when we read Wolverine number 27 a couple weeks ago, we wondered if Ben Percy would maintain a tight continuity between those two books because, you know, a lot of the same characters were in both places. And I was worried at first because on the cover here, we see front and center Wolverine uh, with the rest of his X-Force buddies. And I go, uh-oh, is this going to need to be editor's notes? This happens before, this happens after. But Luckily, the cover has nothing at all to do with what goes on inside the issue. Sell an issue to somebody that likes Wolverine and then anger them because he's not really featured in the issue. But yeah, no Wolverine in the rest of the book. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, so in this book, we were also wondering if Beast was going to continue to be a, a big blue jerk. And uh, yes, the answer is yes. And we do see that new skull-shaped X-Force headquarters, the one we saw created back in that Wolverine issue. So... I guess we have to think that this issue takes place sometime after that one because that's where the headquarters came from. So this doesn't directly address what Beast has been doing with Logan, but this story is, you got to give it credit, completely compatible with what's going on in Wolverine. So that's, you know, give him credit for that. It's consistent, yes. It's it's consistent showing us a particular type of Beast that I think is a bit extreme, but that's okay. It's, I guess his choice. This issue just kind of advances two character arcs one more click in the same direction we already knew they were going. So there's no real news news. They're just, oh yeah, they're even more along that path than we thought. So yes. our first like narrative strand is Sage on Krakoa. And her alcohol problem is just getting worse and worse. <laughs> yes, and not a funny drunk, just a sad drunk. Yeah, and we do get her narration. So we get from her point of view, she feels just overwhelmed all the time with data and reports and notifications. I mean, I feel overwhelmed just having a smartphone and she has this whole technology thing in her head. So I can, as we can really uh, sympathize with her, if not empathize. Uh, we're showing this by this like a cloud of glowing green for Cohen letters following her around. And I don't think that's supposed to be diegetic. I don't think the other characters see that. That's just letting us, the readers, know that she's always haunted by this overwork. And not just the work, but also just the memory of all the nasty things she has to do working for Beast and X-Force, right? All the, the people killed and maimed, all the families, missing family members. She's having a rough time. And the way she deals with that is just by going and, you know, 
getting smashed all the time. This this whole thing, I was like, this could be solved pretty easily with just a few other people working this job. Like, do you really need just one person doing this twenty four seven? I mean, we have we have a CIA. Right? There's reasons why Beast would want it to be just one person. So yeah. I think if, if they're saying if Professor X has put Beast in charge and said do whatever he says, you know, Beast doesn't want a whole bunch of really smart people looking over his shoulder. I suppose that's he right. He wants one person who he can make work really hard and get the job done, but also someone he can kind of control or influence. And in fact, we see a data page here of a year-old financial log that has Beast trying to get Sage to drink more. He imported this special drink and was going to add some vodka to it and says, hey, Sage, I think you'll really enjoy this. And the implication is that he's doing this to keep her just drunk enough to not get in his way, which is, I mean, that's another level of awful on Beast. My gosh. Just in case you wanted to think there's anything redeemable about good old Beast. Yeah, if there's any other X writer out there thinking, oh, I'm going to do the Beast Redemption arc, uh, you're going to have a whole hell of a lot of work to do because this Beast has been just made the biggest piece piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sage has you know passed out drooling on herself in the middle of a field, and uh, Omega Red comes and you know grabs her, cleans her up a little bit. So we see their relationship kind of progressing, and not like a romantic relationship, but like they see something similar in each other. What was your read? Oh, I, I really thought he were he was going down the road of like this turning into some weird twisted romance thing, but they're going a different direction for sure. Yeah. So he kind of cleans her up, takes doesn't take her, you know, tuck her in bed, and you know. Make sure there's a bucket next to her for when she throws up. She he brings her right back to work, which I guess she that's where she has to be. But oh, that's awful! And while she's you know passed out trying to come back to her senses, uh, Domino's been off on some some mission. Uh, she's got this cool her her gauntlet thing. She has transformed into this Krakoan like squirrel suit for gliding around on. Looks amazing. I love that. Just the look of that scene. We don't need to know any details what she was doing. We know she was injured. She gets out and through a portal, and she calls for help, but Sage doesn't hear, at least not right away. She's too hungover. <laughs> not really clear how long Domino's not heard. It seems it seems pretty quick, but at least it's not super quick. And we're not really sure Domino might be dead. Do you think so? Yeah, but she gets back to Krakoa, right? She gets back to Krakoa, so hopefully she was backed up right away. And hey, it's Krakoa, death doesn't matter. Still, it matters to Sage. Yeah, she seems to be like, oh, crap. I'm a horrible person for letting this happen to somebody. Right. So I guess next time we're going to find out, is this going to be Sage realize, oh, this was awful. I need to clean myself up. Or this is so awful. I'm irredeemable. I'm just going to drink even more. We're going to see what direction that story goes. But that's that's where Sage stands here. Our second strand of the story is Mercs in Space. So we have this pedal processing facility on Mars. Seems to be staffed entirely by Jamie Maddox dupes. Again, I'm not sure Jamie would be so happy with all of his dupes being used as slaves and, you know, cannon fodder all the time, but we're not supposed to worry about that, so we won't worry about it on this issue. Uh, they, he loads up these ships to transport the meds back to Earth. I don't know why they're going through space when they have all these portals, but the reason they go through space is because we have to have this transport attacked by a group of space pirates led by Sever Blackburn, another Ben Percy character first appearing in Wolverine number 14 last summer. Now, do you remember our good friend Sever Blackmore? Well, I didn't read Wolverine until I had to, so no. <laughs> I think I read the first few issues and then the most recent ones. Okay, here's here's his, his deal on Nutshell. He is an Iraqi pirate, so he used to, you know, sail the seas and, you know, prey on, on ships there back when they were 
on the other side of Otherworld, and he shares a backstory with Solemn. So Blackmore wiped out the village that baby Solemn lived in, killed, I think, everybody else except for Solemn because, you know, <clears throat> adamantium skin. And he kind of half adopted, half imprisoned him. It's a real, like, Dread Pirate Roberts kind of situation from Princess Bride, if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. So they weren't ever really friends, but they kind of got along. So they definitely have a, a long history with each other. So now it seems that Blackmore's gone from regular piracy to space piracy and seems to be enjoying it. Uh, but it turns out that this was a trap all along, sure, set by Beast. There's no pedals on the ship, and their ambush gets ambushed by a new set of ambushers who are a ragtag bunch of alien mercenaries led by our old friend Maverick. So there's a pretty cool fight scene here, ends with Maverick taking down Blackmore, and these mercs work directly for X-Force, and I'm sure they really just work directly for Beast, you know, on the side. And they yes. bring Blackmore to a secret prison moon that Beast has set up so he can get around that whole no prisons on Krakoa deal, and, not making this up, he will perform medical and scientific experiments on the prisoners. Yeah. Yes. Not not really being subtle with the whole Nazi implication here. And I don't, you know, I don't throw around the word Nazi a lot, but that is clearly what we're supposed to think. Again, I'm sure it's just coincidence the same week that we saw Darwin get horribly experimented on by the children of the vault, but it does really have that that resonance that, oh, that same thing the villains did back in the other issue is what Beast is doing in this issue. I mean, I've said it before. I'm just going to keep saying it. I just feel like this is too many steps into like the evil side for the Hank McCoy that I know, but this is what Ben Percy wants to do. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm sure this is another thing that some editorial has to sign off on that I can't just be one, you know, one rogue writer taking it down this, this direction. It's, it, you know, to take one of the, you know, one of the original five, one a huge character in it and keep going down this road so far, there must be a plan to either either make him an actual known villain or to somehow redeem him or reveal that something else was going on with him that now makes him better. I don't know what it's got to be, though, because it's it's gone so far down this road. But the story does end with one more last twist. I guess Ben Percy has watched that Jabba the Hutt scene from Return of the Jedi recently, because just like there with Princess Leia, one of the prison guards turns out to be solemn in disguise, back from his visit to hell at the end of the Wolverine Judgment Day crossover. And he, they do mention, oh, I'm back from hell, so good for you. And he unlocks Blackmore's like, the chains, and the two of them start you know, wrecking house together. Are they going to make this now known? Is this how the prison moon gets known to the wider world, the wider Krakoan world? I don't know. Could be. But we do see uh, the very last thing in the book in a, not, I don't usually comment on the lettering, but in a typeface here that really does not fit in at all with the rest of the book. Seems like it comes out of like a 1980s horror book. It says, next, prison break. So I guess that's what we deal with next time is the prison break. So yeah, overall, nothing brand, brand new here. I mean, okay, the, the idea that Beast has a prison moon where he does medical experiments on prisoners, that is technically a new thing. But if you had asked me last week, hey, hey, Jason, what odds would you give that Beast has a prison moon where he does medical experiments on, on prisoners? I'd say about 50-50, you know? So it's not like this comes out of left field. It is so consistent with the horrible things we've been seeing about Beast anyway that, yeah, yeah, so he has a prison moon and he also makes his alcoholic friend drink more. I don't know which one is worse. They're both really, really bad. So what did, what did you think of this book? It's too much for me. The, the prison moon thing works. I actually felt like that that was a good idea. The idea that he's like, you know, we need a prison for non-mutants that we have to imprison, right? I'm like, okay, I, I, I see where you're going. Like, that's unethical, but sort of works. Krakoa have always been kind of 
kind of hippy dippy silly. Oh, we're not going to have any prisons. They don't. They've never really lived up to their own visions of themselves. So it makes sense that okay, the guy in charge of the mutant CIA has to has to make some concession to reality. So that part was cool. I was like, okay, I'm on board with that. And then you know, certainly, I don't like the idea, and even the idea of like you know, hey, he's got these, he's funding it with prison labor, right? So this is like you know something we question private prisons, right, and the the ethics behind this. So again, I'm on board with that. That all works for me. This this is an interesting development. And then it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, he's also using the inmates as test subjects to like biological experimentation. That's when it was just like too much for me. The end he's after, is there something important he's after? We're not even given a reason why he thinks this is okay. It's really just shown to us just to make us think that Beast is even more of a piece of crap than ever. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of stuff, it's just it's just too much for me. I'm not enjoying it because if this was more nuanced, it would be in a more interesting story in my mind. And I and I don't know what this biological experimentation detail gives us, right? Does it I mean I guess maybe he's gonna have some kind of biological thing in the future that was developed I through this. I don't think so. I think it's merely just Beast just to make him seem a like a piece of crap. I think it I think it's only all it is is one more thing to make us hate Beast. It's it's sort of strange to me. Because I feel like the the you know, black site prison is probably a problem in and of itself, but you know, and imprisoning people without a trial—that's pretty serious. But, anyways, it, it just kind of makes it more cartoonish in my mind, and so I, I don't enjoy it as much because of that. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. I say, yeah, it just it moves these characters, Sage and Beast, further along the road we already they're on. The art is certainly a highlight. I love the way it looks. The space scenes, especially, look great. I. Give credit for the continuity with Wolverine. They all fit together nicely. And I don't mind these long, simmering plot points, but I like it when there's like a foreground, forward momentum story happening, and then you see some things simmering in the background. Here, it's just mm-hmm. we have two two simmering pots. We're watching both of them. I'd, I'd like there to be yeah. some kind of more forward movement. If it's not in the Beast or Sage story really moving forward, which these aren't, then, you know, put them in the background of something else happening. So it's not bad, bad. I don't think I'm here for... Sage's AA sessions either. That's going to be like three issues, and I, I don't think I'd need that. <laughs> Again, having that a background thing going on in a, a another more interesting story would be fine. It would yeah. add texture, add realism, but I don't need you know demon in a bottle, Krakoa style to happen. But for this issue with the, the great art, I'm going to give this a, a six point five out of ten. Yeah, that's probably where I'm at as well. It is where I'm at as well, probably. Okay, that is all we have to say about this week's book. So, looking ahead, well, next week somehow there are no X books on the schedule, which is a lie. Okay, there are some X books on the schedule to come out, but no X books that Ruben and I want to talk about. So, if you folks <laughs> out there are big fans of Exterminators or New Mutants, good for you, fantastic. I hope you love it. And if you do, hey, tell us all about them on on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Come to our website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com. Find us in the Slack and, and tell us what we're missing. You, you might convince us to, you know, start reading it, start reviewing it, or we'll, you know, just read your letter on the podcast so we don't have to read the darn things. But if somebody, instead of that, I'll say this, go ahead, Jason, I want to say this. If, if somebody goes into the Slack and tells me a detail about exterminators and why we need to read it, I will, I will, you know, toughen myself up and read it but wow that sounds like a double dog dare right there so rise rise to the challenge folks and tell ruben something interesting about that that book there so instead of talking about books that we you know we didn't know we're not going to like and that don't seem super central 
to what's going on in the main story. So we're not like we're missing giant plot points as far as we know. Instead, we're going to go back to 1996 and read and discuss a four-issue miniseries called, of all things, The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, written by Peter Milligan. Now, why are we choosing this with its weird name? It just happens to be the origin of a certain Nathaniel Essex and tells us, at least from what I can tell, the story of how he becomes Mr. Sinister, which seems like a useful story to have in mind as we head ever closer to the Sins of Sinister event. It's on Marvel Unlimited, so listeners, we invite you to, to read along with us. Go ahead and read it this week, just four issues, Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, and we'll talk about it next week. So are you looking forward to that too, Ruben? I am, yeah. I've never actually read this, and, and when you told me about this, I was like, what the hell is that issue? Um, but it seems like something I should have read, right? It seems really important, so... It's uh, I can't Mr. Sinister stuff. We love Mr. Sinister. Peter Milligan is a terrific writer. I've read some of his indie things that are going on right now. So I, I have faith that it's going to be at least worthy of talking about. So until then, hey, again, like I said, follow us on the Twitters, visit the website, and hey, you all keep reading X-Men comics. We will see you next time.